The following podcast is a recording from the sermon ministry of Faithway Baptist Church in Leesburg, Virginia. Our prayer is that this message will be used by God to help you in your daily walk with Him. You have your Bibles this morning. If you could take them and turn to the book of Isaiah, please. Isaiah. You know, I asked Phil as we were working through the service today and we were planning out the order of service and the songs to consider singing that song, Behold Our God, because that's going to play a prominent part in the message today. And you'll see that here in our text in a moment. But also, I knew this would be a rather difficult day for some. And as you think about Valentine's week around the corner and the loved ones that you've lost, I wanted to sing about heaven. When we all get to heaven, we'll sing and we'll shout the victory. And what a day it's going to be when we see Jesus Christ. I know that there's several people that's been in our church family uh, that I can't wait to meet one day or see again in heaven. Some of you that have been with us from the beginning, you remember there was a lady that joined our church. Her name was Fran Fapler. In fact, she signed our uh, charter out there. She was a prayer warrior. She prayed hours every day. And I don't think our church would be where it's at today if it hadn't been for Fran's faithful praying. She passed away shortly after our church started. And I can't wait to see her in heaven. And then we had another, uh, another lady that was a godly example, godly lady, Mrs. Jen Baker. And we love Jen very much, and she was a part of our family, our church family. She raised Andrew, Will, and Ben, and just a faithful wife for many years to Bobby, and we'll see her in heaven one day. And then Pat Zandy, and Ken Son, and, and uh, let's see, Mr. McClay. And I, Miss Betty, I never got to hear your husband sing a solo. I could hear him singing in his wheelchair over there, but never got to hear him sing. But he had quite the voice, didn't he? And so he's singing in heaven right now. And uh, when we get there one day, we'll see, uh, see him again and be able to reunite with those people that we've loved. Last year, we lost Lee Acker at our church and loved Lee and his love for the Lord. And so when we see him one day, it's going to be awesome. And that leads right into Isaiah chapter 65 this morning because there's something here in this text that has befuddled me for pretty much my entire life. And, uh, and I think if you understand where I'm coming from, it'll probably, you'll probably have to admit it's something that raises your curiosity as well. It's the subject of the invisibility of God. The Bible tells us that no one has seen God, John 1, 18, no one has seen God at any time. God is described in the Bible as magnificent. He's described as shining. He's described as one who resides in unapproachable light. The Bible tells us in Isaiah that his glory fills the heavens with such an intense radiance that even the holiest angels, they have to veil their face in his presence. This all-powerful creator who is the source of all things and actively governs everything. The Bible says he sustains the universe through his power. He literally is holding the atoms together and preventing them from exploding and creating chaos like the world has never seen, the world basically imploding. Jesus is the source of all of the creation of the world and the universe. And such a magnificent God is also the origin of beauty in heaven, the Bible tells us. The saints and angels, they appear in this circular formation around God. And as we sang this morning, continually around his throne, they are saying, never stopping, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, who was and is and is to come. And I say this morning that I wrestle with the invisibility of this God because of this. This magnificent and mighty deity is invisible. And that can be very challenging for us to grasp. In fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 17, Timothy wrote, or Paul wrote to Timothy, Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. 
No one has ever laid their eyes on God. And I struggle with this because most of my understanding of the universe comes from my eyes. I don't think we have anyone here today who's legally blind. And so if we all have our eyesight, you understand that most of what you know from the universe and what you've seen in this world, it allows you to understand what is out there. Light enters into our eyes and it comes in various shapes and forms and colors and it gives us insight into the world around us. You've been to the Grand Canyon, you see that big hole in the ground and every color under the rainbow represented in the rocks. You look up in a telescope into the sky and once you get past that balloon that's up there, you can look up and you can see the stars that are up there and God's incredible design and his handiwork. Where does all of that come from? Well, it came from God. However, the God who created all of that can only be known through faith. The source of all of this awesomeness, we as human beings, we want to know that source. Deep down inside, there is every single person who's ever been born has that desire to know the Creator, to witness it, to see God. And yet God says no man has seen God at any time. God has concealed himself, the origin of all this beauty and creativity, all the love and the peace and the joy that exists in the universe created by God, and yet God is not, does not allow us to see him. It's not possible. God is the invisible creator. He's the unseen sustainer. He's the hidden ruler that our eyes will never be able to see. However, this desire to see the unseen is not by chance. Every person here in this room desperately wants to see God. If you could narrow it down and get past all the noise that is in your life and you could think about what it will be like when you get to heaven one day, we all crave that peace and that joy. We want to be there. In fact, Isaiah said this, Isaiah chapter 64, in verse number one, Oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens, that thou wouldest come down. In other words, Isaiah said 700 years before Jesus, would, the Son of God, would come down, he said, oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens. I, I don't know what to call it. Maybe you could compare it to a membrane, maybe a wall, something that is between us, the physical and the spiritual. And currently, while we are alive, we cannot cross that barrier. It cannot be penetrated through reasoning. You can't get into an airplane or a rocket and zoom over that membrane. It, it can't happen. You can't soar to great heights and get to be with God. But just beyond that veil is the eternal presence of our God. In fact, Stephen, in the book of Acts chapter number 7, right before he was to give his life, he was the first deacon in the early church. Hopefully our deacons won't have to give their life, but the first deacon in the early church was stoned to death, and right before he was stoned to death, he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven, and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. This was before Stephen died. Right before he died, he looked up into heaven and he saw the heavens opened. You know, growing up, I used to like to read C.S. Lewis books, The Chronicles of Narnia. And if you've ever read those books, you know that you go into the closet, deep into the closet, and there's a portal to a secret world. Hate to break the news to you this morning, but there are no time-traveling portals. I mean, you can look, but you're not going to find them. No matter what Hollywood tells you, they're not there. The invisible God resides in a spiritual realm that surrounds us, but that spiritual realm cannot be attained right now. Say, okay, where are you going with this? Specifically this morning, I think you'll see here in a moment. We can only understand the invisible God when God reveals himself to us. 
That is called what theologians say revelation. When God reveals, he's the revelator. By the way, that's the name of the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. And revelation means to pull back the veil. It's an unveiling. And in the biblical context, it's pulling back the veil so you and I can see the invisible God. And we break down revelation, Bible scholars do, into two different categories. Number one, you have general revelation. General revelation can be summed up like this. The heavens declare the glory of God. One of my favorite times of the day is sunset. I love going out and watching the sunset if I can. Just sitting outside and watching the sun go down and the colors that are in the sky. I just absolutely love it. The, the other type of revelation is called special or specific revelation. And that is when God reveals himself through the pages of the Bible. The Bible tells us that holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So God reveals himself to us in the Bible. Now, Isaiah chapter 65 is pretty cool. Because here in Isaiah 65, we're going to see some special, special revelation. God is going to show, himself something, show us something about himself when we see one word that's repeated seven times in Isaiah chapter 65. In fact, if you look there, Isaiah 65, look at verse number one. I am sought of them that asked not for me. I am found of them that sought me not. I said, this is God speaking, Behold me, behold me, unto a nation that was not called by my name. The word that God uses here in this chapter to show different things about himself is that word behold. Now, when was the last time just in, I know we sang the word behold and behold our God, but when was the last time just in regular conversation you said, behold. Anyone? I mean, what if I were to walk in the house, you know, I get home today, behold, family, I'm home. And they're like, what is wrong with you, right? Or if my wife said, you know, behold, dinner is ready. And then if you say behold, you got to, you know, it's got to be a deep behold, right? It's got to be something that comes from the guttural, the, the bowels of your stomach, behold. Well, it's not something we use on a regular basis. In fact, probably the only time I've ever heard it used would be like a magician, right? He pulls the bunny out of his hat, behold. And that, that's probably the way we would use it today. But, but you understand what it means, right? It means pay attention. I am going to show you something awesome about me. And as I mentioned seven times in chapter 65, God says, behold. As though as if he's saying to us this morning, human beings, I want you to observe some marvels that I will reveal to you. I want to unveil some astonishing, some astonishing truths right before your eyes. And you would have no other means of knowing these things about me unless I tell you about them. And so, Faithway family, this morning, I want you to behold with amazement the things that God is going to show us today. In verse number one, the word behold there, he says, Behold, I will give grace to the Gentiles. The greatest revelation happens in verse number one, where God twice says, Behold me. See that in your text? Behold me, behold me. God presents himself in verse number one, and he's saying to us, and saying to the Jewish people, I will give grace to the nations of the world who do not seek after me. In fact, the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 10 quoted this verse when he was talking about how God would pursue the Gentiles. In case you don't know who the Gentiles are, that's anyone who's not part of the Jewish Lineage. So most of us here in this room would probably qualify to be Gentiles. And God said to Isaiah, I'm going to go after the Gentiles and pursue them even though they're not pursuing me. And that didn't make sense to Isaiah because 
Well, the God of the Bible, the God of the Old Testament, was the God of the Jewish people. Why would God go after the Gentiles, especially when they don't want a relationship with him? Paul said in Romans chapter 10 and verse number 20, But Isaiah, or Isaiah, was very bold and saith, I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. In other words, the Gentiles were not seeking for the God of the universe in any way, shape, or form. They had their false gods with clouded minds. If you ever have the opportunity to go to Athens, it's a beautiful city, and right in the middle of the city, from pretty much anywhere in Athens, you can see the Pantheon. It's this temple structure that is built at a very high point, and they have there all of these different temples within the temple complex to all of these different gods that the ancient Greeks believed in. And when you get to that pantheon, there are all these different, you know, God of uh, love, the God of war, the God of peace. And they have all of these different places where they would go and they would sacrifice. Oftentimes their sacrifices included indulgence and drinking and prostitution and debauchery. And the Greeks would go, they would go in and they would worship these false gods. The Apostle Paul shows up in Athens and he says, I see that you have all of these temples But there's one temple over there. It's the temple that you have to the unknown God. Who is that unknown God? Well, we don't know who he is, but we know he's out there because there's somebody that's beyond the power of all of these false gods. And Paul says, ah, let me tell you about this unknown God. Paul says, behold, let me reveal God to you. And this is what the Bible says. God is going to reveal himself to the Gentiles In such a great way, God says explicitly in verse number one, Behold me, behold me. And in the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, beloved, Jesus consistently stands in front of individuals of every nation on the earth. And you know what he says? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He says, Behold me, look at me. That is what our our goal as a Christian is to go into all the world and preach the gospel and say to our friends and to our families and to our neighbors that do not know Jesus Christ, behold him, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. I am ready to save you, God says. All you have to do is seek after me and you will certainly find me. So God says, behold, number one, I will give grace to the Gentiles. Now the Gentiles did not seek God. They were not looking for God. In fact, Romans chapter 3 and verse number 11 says, There is none who understands, there is none that seeketh after God. But God revealed himself by his sovereign spirit. He drew them to hunger and thirst and to seek him through faith in Jesus Christ. We seek God, the Bible says very clearly, because Jesus Christ, because he sought us. We believe that God has more wonders, by the way, to reveal to us, more of himself to show us, All that we know, all that is about God is not contained in this Bible. There is so much more about God that you and I do not know. I believe, I don't necessarily have Bible to back this up, but my personal belief is that when we get to heaven one day, we'll have the Bible, which is great, but I believe God is going to continue for the rest of the eternity, say, behold me, let me teach you something more about who I am. Let me show you some depths of the universe that the human eye has never laid eyes on before. Let me show you how powerful, and how awesome I am. Behold me. And my friend, you have infinitely more to see about this God than you know right now. Jesus Christ comes to you and he says, if you're without faith in him, behold me. I want to save you. I want you to seek after me. I want to be your savior. Will you behold him this morning? Number two this morning, I'd like you to see in verses two through seven, 
God says, Behold my judgments. Look at verse 2. I have spread out my hands all the day into a rebellious people which walketh in the way that was not good after their own thoughts. A people that provoketh me to anger continually to my face, that sacrificeth in gardens and burneth incense upon the altars of brick, which remain amongst the grave and lodge in the monuments, which eat swine's flesh and broth of abominable things as in their vessels, which say, Stand by thyself, come not near to me, for I am holier than thou. You ever heard that phrase before? That, that's where it comes from there in verse number 5. I am holier than thou. There, there are, they are, these are a smoke in my nose, a fire that burneth all day. Behold, it is written before me, I will not keep silence, but will recompense, even recompense unto their bosoms. Your iniquities and the iniquities of your fathers together, saith the Lord, which have burned incense upon the mountains and blasphemed upon the hills. Therefore will I measure their former works into their bosom. What is God saying here? Well, God has a remarkable patience and humility with Israel, and it's highlighted once again in this text. In verses 2 through 7, God goes through what Israel is currently doing. For generations, God has given the nation of Israel prophets. And God has been waiting for Israel like a father who has a prodigal son, waiting for his son to come home. And with open arms, God says to Israel, whenever you all want to come home, I am here for you. But despite Israel's stubbornness and hardness of heart and persistence and pagan idolatry and religions, God continues to reach out to them. In verses 2 through 7, this is an abomination of what's going on. The pagan rituals, they've contaminated Israel for centuries. I mean, ever since Solomon had all of those wives that turned his heart away from God and he brought the, all of the false idol worship into the land of Israel, they embraced the gods of the Canaanites and the godless practices and they sinned in God's presence for years. In verses 3 and 4, the Bible describes the dark occultic religion, the repulsive practices. They were communicating with the dead. They were consuming pig's meat. They were eating other meats that were defying the, the laws of God. And somehow, in, verses, in verse number four, they thought that these bizarre rituals gave them like a secret knowledge of God. It was kind of like this occultic thing, right? The deeper, the higher you go in different organizations, the more knowledge that you have. And they delve deeper into the satanic secrets. And that's kind of what's going on there in verse number four. In verse number five, it's that phrase, the Jews holier than thou. He refers to the Jews who, who thought that their pagan rituals made them holy. But the problem was they rejected God's standard of holiness and they embraced one from paganism, which was repulsive and provocative to God. In fact, it was so um, obscene in God's eyes. The Bible says in verse number five, it was as if smoke was coming into God's nose, a fire that burned all day. Have you ever gone camping and the only wood that you can find is green wood? And you need to make a fire because it's raining and you're freezing cold and you got to figure out some way to get warm. And so as you make that fire, the smoke from that green wood just, just you can't escape it. I mean, you kind of can do, you know, ring around the campfire and try to, it, the wind blows different directions. But it's everywhere. It just fills your, fills that entire campsite because you're burning wood that's not dry. It's obnoxious. It's uncomfortable. And that's exactly, in verse number five, what's going on with the Jews' attitudes and their actions with their pagan worship. As a teenager, I had the opportunity to go to Manila, Philippines on a missions trip. And one thing that I was not prepared for is as soon as we got off the airport or got out of the airport and into the car, the, the acrid smoke that filled the air from the people who just burned their trash 
they didn't have trash pickup like we have here. It was just, if you have trash, you burn it. And it's 24-7, seven days a week. The smell does not go away. It takes a while to get used to that, that smell. And in verse number five, you and I, as we read this, it's a, sp- a smoke in the nose of God that burneth all day. I can't hang out in an area where there's green, green wood smoke for much, t- much too long. I, I have to get out of there. And if it were me, if I were God, I would not have put up for generation upon generation upon generation of my children rebelling against me. And God says, no, I have some incredible patience. But at some point, God's patience is going to run out. And that's where we have in verse number six and seven, his mercy is going to stop. We're going to see another behold in verse number six. Behold, it is written before me. I will not keep silence, but I will recompense, even recompense into their bosom. Recompense means to simply repay, right? If someone owes you debt and they pay that debt, they've recompensed. That's the idea there. And so the Bible tells us in verse number five, God is an incredibly patient God. But lest you mistake God's patience as ignorance, you are sadly mistaken. Because God keeps a record of every single action. Romans chapter 2 tells us that. The persistent unrepentance of the people of God is, quote, storing up wrath against the day of wrath and judgment. There is coming a day when every single wrong that anyone has committed will be judged by God. Please don't mistake God's silence in 2023 with the sins that are going on in America, the sins that are going on in the church in America, as God not caring. No, God does care. God's standard of holiness has not changed. And there is coming a day when God will judge this earth and he will judge those individuals for their sins. Why? Because be not deceived, God is not mocked. God cannot be mocked. The wicked will face consequences for his actions, and the day of judgment will surely come. Revelation chapter 2 and verse number 23. God says, I am he which searcheth the reins and the hearts, and I will give every one of you according to your works. You know, my friend, that's a sobering verse for Christians, too. We're not going to be judged for our sins. If If you're saved today, your sins have been judged by Jesus on the cross. Right? He's taken away your sins, but God does know what you're doing. And he sees when you teach Sunday school. He sees when you empty the trash at church. He sees how you serve your neighbors. And if you're doing it so other people will look at you and say, hey, what a great Christian that person is. And they pat you on the back. And if that's what you're living for, God who sees in secret and knows your motives, that's not going to garner any reward in heaven one day. But it's the one who gives in secret. It's the one who serves God when no one else is looking. It's the one who serves God out of pure motives. God will give to every one of us according to our works. But a much more sobering verse in the Bible is found at the end of Revelation. Actually, it's five verses. Revelation 21, verse number 11. Having the glory of God, her light was like unto a stone most precious. Um, Actually, I think, Caroline, that's the wrong reference there. It actually should be Revelation chapter 21. Let me read it to you. Um, because Revelation chapter 20 talks about heaven, and that's a great passage of Scripture. But Revelation 21 says, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat upon it, whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was no, found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the, the books according to their works. Okay, right now, if you're not saved... 
you should be literally in fear and trembling because there is coming a day. Every work, the Bible says, that you are doing here, whether it's good or bad, is being recorded by God. And God will open the books when you stand before him one day, and he will judge every lie you've ever told, everything you've stolen, every lustful thought you've ever had. It will be judged by God one day. And the Bible says, whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. The picture is this, God's patience, oh yes, he is a very patient God. You say, well, why hasn't God judged America? We're just like Sodom and Gomorrah. Yes, we're heading that way very quickly if we're not already there. But the reason God has not judged our country, the reason why God is patient is because he's inviting whosoever will to behold him, to come to him. But when that day ends, when his day of patience is over, God says we will stand before him. And if you do not know Jesus Christ, the books will be opened. There's going to be the book of works, which will record all the deeds that you've ever done. And then, after you've been gone through the book of works, another book is going to be opened. It's called the book of life. See, when, you're, when you come to faith in Christ, when you put your faith and trust in him, the Bible says that your name is recorded in the Lamb's book of life. God writes your name in that book. Well, when you stand before him, if you're unsaved one day, God will open up the Lamb's book of life. And if your name is not found written in the Lamb's book of life, the Bible says you'll be cast into the lake of fire. My friend, the only hope of salvation from God's justice is through Jesus Christ. So what are we to do? Well, if you know Christ, urge people that are without him to put their faith in him to avoid the impending wrath of God. Idolatrous worship still occurs all around the world. Human sacrifices occur today to pagan gods. And it's our duty to share the good news of Jesus Christ. One pastor recently wrote about an experience he had in South, in South Asia. He said, I stood at the Bagmati River every day where funerals are, every day funerals are held there and the bodies are burned. It's the custom of these Hindu people when, when family or friends die to take their bodies within 24 hours to the river where they lay them on funeral boats and set these boats ablaze. In doing so, they believe that they're helping their friend or family um, through the cycle of reincarnation. This pastor stood there and he said, as I saw this scene unfold before me, I stood in overwhelmed silence. For as I watched these flames overtake these bodies, I knew based on the Bible that I was witnessing at that moment a physical reflection on an eternal reality. Tears streamed down my face as I realized that most, if not all the people that I was watching burned had died without ever hearing the good news of how they could live forever with God. My friend, the only way to avoid the eternal punishment of God is through Jesus Christ. However, it's not just far-off exotic locations in Southeast Asia that practice paganism. It's happening right here in America. All around you, your neighbors, your friends, they prioritize money and pleasure and food and sports. They're, they're practicing paganism. It's not just remote, far-off places. Like It's all around us. It's on Wall Street. It's in Leesburg. It's going to be at the Super Bowl next week. Say anything against the Super Bowl? Not necessarily. But if someone's willing to spend $10,000 on a Super Bowl ticket, you know, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also, right? you got to wonder sometimes, what do people worship? Are you turning to Christ for salvation, or are you turning to things to save you? God can rescue you from your paganism. He can rescue those in Southeast Asia from their paganism if they turn to him. So that's what the behold there in verse number 8 is all about. Behold, I am going to save you. But I want you to notice number three. Behold, my servants are singing. 
I'd like you to notice there, verse number 8, Isaiah 65, 8. Thus saith the Lord, as the new wine is found in the clusters, and one saith, destroy it not, for a blessing it is, so will I do for my servant's sake, that I may not destroy all of them. I will bring forth a seed out of Jacob and out of Judah, an inheritance of my mountains, and mine elect shall inherit it, and my servant shall dwell there. And Sharon shall be a fold of flocks, the valley of Ankor, a place where the herds lie down for my, for, for my people that have sought me. God says, Behold, I am going to make all things new one day. I want you to hear my servants singing here in this passage of Scripture. God distinguishes between the good and the bad. He talks about good grapes and bad grapes. The good grapes are the ones that are saved after the harvest is over. The bad grapes are the ones that are discarded. The, the good grapes would have been the Jews that were obeying God faithfully from the heart. The bad grapes would be those that are in the pagan rituals, and they're going to be discarded in the end. And, and God has the ability to distinguish between the righteous and the wicked. That's what that verse, those verses are saying. In verse number 9, I will bring forth a seed out of Jacob and out of Judah, shall an, inherit, uh, an inheritor of my mountains and mine elect shall inherit it. My servants shall dwell there. The remnants, the true believing Jews, and by extension the book of Romans, I believe the saved of Christ worldwide are promised that one day they will inherit the mountain of God and they will live a prosperous life in the promised land, in the new heavens, in the new earth. The Bible tells us, we'll see next week in Acts, and at the end of this chapter, that it's going to be an amazing place of the world, like the world has never known before when Jesus Christ reigns again. However, the Bible talks about if... if in the book of Romans, Paul talks about the Gentiles who believe in Christ. They, they are spiritual blessings. They are engrafted into the family of God. And so we'll see that a little bit next week as well. But in verses 11 and 12, the people of Jehovah have abandoned Jehovah. You know, it's interesting. There's one name of God that I'd like you to draw your attention to this morning. It's the name Jehovah Jireh. Maybe you've heard that phrase before. You know what Jehovah Jireh means? It means God will provide. Now, the people of Israel were known as people of Jehovah. They were known as people of the God who will provide. And the people of Jehovah abandoned the provider and his abundant gifts, and they renounced the Lord by their own choice. In verses 11 and 12, they clung to fate and destiny and luck. That, that's what they clung to. The, well, we don't need this God thing. That's so old-fashioned. Let's just see what Lady Luck has for us. So, well, we're a little bit better than that in our culture, are we? I heard that last year. Um, I read that the American, American public spent $8 billion betting on the Super Bowl, just hoping for a chance to strike it big. With the legalization of online gambling, different things that have happened over the past you know, 12 months, they expect it to easily go over $10 billion this year on Super Bowl night alone. And God says to his people in verses 11 and 12, my people are relying on lady luck rather than relying on me. In spite of numerous attempts over the years with Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and Hosea and Joel, all the prophets of the Old Testament, in spite of all of these opportunities to hear them, they refuse every time. And now God says, I'm going to mark you for destruction. And this leads to verse number 13. Phil, we were talking about this verse. The blessings and cursings. Look at verse 13. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, behold, my servants shall eat, but ye shall be hungry. Behold, my servants shall drink, but ye shall be thirsty. Behold, my servants shall rejoice, but ye shall be ashamed. Behold, my servants shall sing for joy in heart, but ye shall cry for sorrow of heart, and shall howl for vexation of spirit. And ye shall leave your name for a curse unto my chosen, for the Lord God shall slay thee and call his servants by another name. Man, that's a powerful passage of Scripture. 
It's not a verse that you're going to hear people like Joel Osteen talk about. God is going to curse you and he's going to slay you. Is that true? Yes, it is. That's in the Bible. And here we have it again. Behold, behold, behold. God is showing us something about himself that we would not otherwise know. And God is saying here very clearly to the wicked, Behold, my servants will be blessed, but you that are excluded, you will be very much judged for your sins. The idea here in in this passage of scripture is that of a feast where you have God inviting the chosen to come and dine. And yet those who are not part of the chosen, they will miss the feast of God. It's a a forewarning of, and, and it's also, it's a demonstration of God's grace. If you're here today and you do not know Jesus Christ, my friend, I invite you to come and dine and feast at the table that God wants to prepare for you. Come and sit at the table with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Jesus. I don't want you to go to the lake of fire for all of eternity. That's not where I want you to be. But if you die in your sin, you will die in torment. I've often thought about that. In hell, there's going to be bitter regrets. In hell, people will remember their lives. They'll remember things about it. They'll remember the good times they had while they lived. Someone said, well, if I'm living my best life now and I don't know Christ as my Savior, that's the closest thing you're going to get to heaven all of your existence. When you go to hell one day, you will remember the things that you understood. You'll remember the times that you were sitting in a church service and you heard the gospel preached, but you didn't respond. Did you understand the implication? Do you you understand the implications of this text? I, I hope you do. The Bible says that there is coming a day when someone who does not know Jesus will spend eternity separated from God in the lake of fire. And I also believe, and this is taught in Isaiah chapter 66 and very openly, that the redeemed are aware of the names and the fate of the reprobates in hell. Someone says, well, we get to heaven. We're not going to have any idea who is there in hell. We're not going to worry about that. I don't think that's what the Bible teaches. I don't think God is going to conceal it from us. I believe that God allows us to know who is there, and we'll see that in a couple of weeks in Isaiah 66, because it allows everyone for all of eternity to recognize the justice of Almighty God. My friend, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, stop playing games with God. You do not know when time will be over for you. You have no idea if you'll meet your Maker today. We have no promises of tomorrow. And my friend, behold, now is the time, is the day of salvation. Read verse number 16 with me. It says, that he, who, that he who blesseth himself in the earth shall bless himself in God of truth. And he that sweareth in the earth shall swear by God of truth. Because the former troubles are forgotten, because they are hid from mine eyes. Verse 17, for behold, I create a new heaven and a new earth. Number four this morning, God says, behold, a whole new earth. In the future, all sadness and sorrow and death and mourning and tears and pain Whatever sickness you have this morning, when you get to heaven, it's going to be no more. We'll be there for all of eternity. There's not going to be any doctors in heaven. There's not going to be prescriptions that you need to take every morning in heaven. No, because all those things are going to be gone. So if you're here today, a couple of applications for you. Number one, if you're not saved, this passage of scripture provides a very clear warning for the non-Christian to turn to Jesus Christ while there is still time. If you're here this morning and you recognize that there's a chance that I'm not a Christian, Oh, my friend, I implore you to turn to Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Son of God. He died on the cross as a sacrifice for your sin, your paganism, your idolatry, your wickedness. Jesus absorbed, the Bible says, the wrath of God 
and he provided, a perfect, provided us with a perfect righteousness through faith alone in Jesus Christ. If you need to get saved, would you please talk to me after the service this morning? I'd love to show you from the Bible how you can become a Christian. If you're here this morning and say, no, Pastor, I know I'm saved. I remember when I gave my life to God, I know that I am on my way to heaven. If I were to die today, there's no doubt in my mind I'd be in heaven with the Lord. Good. Praise the Lord. If you know Jesus Christ, in just a moment, we're going to take some time and reflect on the message. Would you thank God for his persistence in saving you? God never gave up on you, and he never will. He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it till the day of Jesus Christ. Revelation 22, verse number 3. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be of it, and his servants shall serve him, and they shall see his face. Remember I started the service this morning talking about the great perplexion that I have with the invisibility of God. How God who created all of this beauty cannot be seen. One day we will see the Lamb of God, God the Son. We will see Jesus Christ face to face. And so my friend, understand this morning that there are those around us without Christ. May that motivate us towards evangelism. May it motivate us towards giving so our missionaries can serve the Lord on the foreign fields. Don't harden your heart towards the lost people in your school, in your class, in your dorm, in your marketplace, in your neighborhood. Don't harden your heart. And let me invite you to come back next week because we're going to look at the rest of chapter number 66. And we're going to see the beauties that are going to be in the world that is to come that God will create. And all I can say as I read the rest of this chapter is I'm going to heaven, can't wait. Going to see Jesus, can't wait. Heaven's wonderful, bright and fair. Praise the Lord, I'm going there. I'll be there forever. I can't wait. I hope you'll be there as well. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you this morning for this passage of Scripture and the sobering reminders that we have that one day you will reveal yourself to every single person here in this room. Either, Lord, we will behold your face as our Savior or we will behold your face as our judge. And I pray today if there is someone here who's never been saved, they've never put their faith and trust in you, that right now in the quietness of this moment, that they would call out to you, admit that they are a sinner, and believe in their heart that Jesus died on the cross to save them from their sin. And Lord, as they call out to you, I pray that you would save them this morning. And then for the Christian who's here, Lord, the two challenges I have for everyone who is a believer, number one, that we would thank you for our salvation this morning, and number two, that we would be motivated to continue to share the good news of Jesus Christ, of what you've done for us. Lord, I pray that we would take these principles and apply them to our lives. That we would not be the same Christians that we were when we walked in the door this morning. We would love you and serve you until we see you face to face. This is Pastor Barney Schwenke from Faithway Baptist Church in Leesburg, Virginia. Thank you so much for taking the time today to listen to the sermon podcast. If there's any way that we can help you in your journey with God, please reach out to us. You can find more information on how to contact us at our website, faithwaybaptistchurch.com. May God continue to bless you as you seek to walk with Him.